Well, thank you, John, and I appreciate your ministry this morning with the gingerbread gospel. I almost started singing that gingerbread song. Man, that's been a long time. I'm like, I don't know that song. And then as these students started uh, singing it, it came right back. Should have done special music, John. Wow. Run, run as fast as you can. Wow. That's good. Well, thank you. I trust you had a Merry Christmas yesterday. And and hey, I, I want to say um, today was uh, John Mark's last Sunday with us. Um, we have, uh, in an effort to continue to make adjustments to our expenses and staff size, we are uh, making some changes. John has been with us for about two and a half years now, the last two years full-time. He's been with us and uh, done, done a great job for us here leading our musicians. And uh, John, I, I want you to know I appreciate your ministry here. Thank you for that. And it's been, uh, it's been one of those unique things. Uh, uh, you get to work with your son as a colleague, as a fellow servant, and uh, I'm going to miss that. But John, thank you. Uh, we're making some, here you go. All right, well, hey, welcome to Heritage. Merry Christmas one more time, right? And um, let me be the first to say Happy New Year. <laughs> because by the time we see each other next Sunday, it will be uh, the new year, 2022 and uh, it's one of those odd times of year when it's like we move from Christmas and right through it. And before we know it, it's the new year. And wow, we're into that. But uh, as we talk more about that uh, next week, and I, and I want to encourage you to join us next Sunday morning at 930 right here. We will have our first communion service of 2022. Uh, we'll be gathered together right here, and we're going to spend the entire service uh, remembering the death of Christ for us. So you plan to join us next Sunday morning at 9.30. Now, that we've just come through the Christmas season, um, let's see how well you remember all of those well-known, right, Christmas truths. I've got a quiz for you. And you go, no, not the day after Christmas. Yeah, I do. Now, so, so just in your head, don't yell out the answers, but I've got some quiz questions for you. So the, the first question we have here, how did Mary and Joseph travel to Bethlehem? Your options, camel, donkey, they walked, a Volkswagen. Joseph walked, Mary rode a donkey, who knows? What do, you, what do you think? You got that down in your mind? Okay, we have the answer. Who knows? Ah, you said, no, no. It's Joseph walked and Mary rode the donkey. I mean, I see that picture everywhere, right? Christmas cards and, and, and we probably sing something about that. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us, folks. We may think a lot of things, but the Bible doesn't tell us. All right, all right, that was a warm-up, right? Second question. Here we go. What did the innkeeper tell Mary and Joseph? There is no room in the inn. I have a stable you can use. 
come back after the Christmas rush and I should have some vacancies, both A and B, all right, A and B, or none of the above. You got that? You know the answer? Look at those questions. Are you there? None of the above. You say, wait a minute. I know the innkeeper said there's no room in the inn. I've heard that for years in those children's Christmas plays that we used to do. It was right. No, no. If you'll read the account in Luke, you'll find out that the innkeeper never said a word. We're told that there was no room, but the innkeeper never said. You say, you're tricking us. Well, no, not really, but all right. Next question. Next question. How many, all right, you'll get this, right? How many wise men came to see Jesus? Uh, see, now you're afraid. <laughs> all right. The answer, of course, the Bible doesn't say. No. Come on. I knew that was three, right? I mean, it's always there's three at the manger scene. I'll talk about that in a minute. And uh, that we see the Christmas cards, right? There, and pictures. There's always three. The Bible never says, right? We've made the kind of conclusion that because there were three gifts given that there must have been three wise men well that may have been true but the chances are that it was a pretty large entourage in which the wise men were traveling anyway all right here we go this this one's easy the wise men stopped in Jerusalem a to inform Herod about Jesus b to find out where Jesus was c to ask about the star they saw D, for gas, or E, to buy presents for Jesus? And the answer is to find out where Jesus was, all right? I, I think you probably got that one. There was a, nothing, pretty straightforward, nothing tricky about. I have one more question, one more question. The wise men found Jesus. When the wise men arrived, the wise men found Jesus in a manger, a stable, a house, Holiday Inn Express, good mood, none of the above. Now, be careful, folks. You may be thinking none of the above because that's kind of seems like the answer has been. How about good mood, right? No, no, that's not it. They found him in a house, right? What? A house? No, 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 no. I've got one of those. I was in Israel and I bought one of those uh, nativity scenes. And it's got wise men with it. And the wise men are always at the nativity scene. That doesn't mean that's what the Bible says, folks, right? All right. So anyway, some more for you to think about as we talk through this. Uh, there do seem to be some misconceptions about the Christmas story. And a lot of that has to do with the Christmas carols or songs that we sing. A lot of that has to do with Christmas cards that we look at, the pictures that we see along that way, and, and just our understanding. Maybe it was a school or Sunday school or church Christmas program that gave us the idea, but we need to make sure that we understand what the Bible does and doesn't say. Now, sometimes when it doesn't say, sure, we can take a little bit of uh, 
literary license. Some songs do that kind of a thing. But, but make sure you understand the truth as to what Scripture really does. And one of the most common misconceptions of the Christmas story is about the wise men. Um, most manger scenes, as I mentioned, have three wise men. Well, we're going to see in a little bit that the wise men did not make it at the manger scene. They were not at the manger scene. We'll find out what they, where they were, when they came, and how many of them. We hear about three. We already talked about that. Here's another. We sing, yeah, but we three kings of Orient are. Well, number one, they weren't kings. Number two, they didn't come from the Orient. All right, and number three, we don't know that there were three, as we've said. So we talk about the wise men, and we're going to look at that today. The last question that we talked about, they found Jesus in a house. You know, as you look at, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2 today, one of the things that we know is probably the wise men, they, the earliest they could have shown up was about 40 to 60 days, a month and a half to two months down the road. Because Mary, there were purification rites after having a baby, and that she was, she went, they went to the temple at eight days old to have Jesus circumcised, but then 40 days later, or could have been up to 66 days later, if you want to look back in Leviticus and uh, chap, uh, chapter 12 and just see what the Old Testament says about that, but it could have been up to two years. In fact, a lot of scholars think that it was closer to two years than two months so just think about that make sure you understand and the reason we would say two years is because out of our text beyond that Matthew chapter 2 and verses 13 and 14 and and there uh, uh, past that one of the things we know when Herod found out that the wise men had not done what he'd asked them to do he gave orders to kill every male child every boy two years of age and younger why because that's the estimate about when he believes that the wise men would have gone on to see him. So we need to understand what Scripture says. And I'd invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at the first 12 verses. And if you don't have a Bible with like a hard copy in your hand right under the chairs in front of you, close at hand, there should be a Bible there. Of course, find it on your phone or tablet and uh, you can follow along, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And today we're going to complete, complete our series on the miracles of Christmas. And we're going to look at what I'm calling the miracle of the Magi. The miracle of the Magi. And uh, we're going to start right there, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. So follow along with me, please. Uh, as I read the first two verses here. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem. All right, the indication would be not at the moment, but after, okay? After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, let me go back over those two, uh, two verses. We talked about afterwards. The wise men were not there at the manger scene. It, it just didn't happen that way. 
And as you follow through, you compare the accounts in Matthew and Luke, you'll see that. But, but I want you to see there are three main characters involved here in these first two verses that are part of the Christmas story here in Matthew chapter 2. And I think I have this on the, uh, the screen here. And so as we look at the verses, yes, there we go. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, during the time of, here's the first character, King Herod. All right, King Herod. Now, he was there. He was, this is Herod the Great. If you've heard before about him, Herod the Great. And he was the, uh, the king of Judea. The Roman Empire had appointed him to be the king. He was not of the royal line of David, though. The only reason he was king, because he happened to be in the right place at the right time, and the Roman Empire appreciated his military skills and put him in office. His accomplishments were great. In fact, this might come as a shock to you, but Herod the Great rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. (laughs) Yeah. He also rebuilt Samaria. He came from that area. He was of, of the, the line of Esau. Yes, the Jacob and Esau. And so he came along, but he was not a Jew. Therefore, he was not of the royal line of David. And we talked about that back in the beginning of the month when we talked about the miracle of genealogy. And the genealogy went all the way back to Abraham. It went then through David. Why? Because the promise was that the king of Israel would always be through the line of David. The Messiah would come through the line of David. Well, Herod the Great was not even a Jew. He was a tyrant. I mentioned this to our people here that were here. If you were here Christmas Eve, we talked about this. King Herod was a tyrant. He was not a good guy. He was a cruel and oppressive ruler. Anyone who got in his way, anyone who crossed him, was eliminated. That's just the way it happened. Your life was taken from you. He was tax happy. Uh, it, was a, it was a rough time to be living in Judea at this time. And Herod was a control freak. There were all kinds of, of uh, opportunities or people out to try to kill him, get rid of him, assassinate him. And he always came out ahead because he figured it out ahead of time and stopped the threat. We could say more, but that's Herod the Great, King Herod. The second character in our our account here is, all right, during the time of King Herod was the Magi. And, And our verses, we talk about that. All right, King Herod, and then the Magi came, verse 2, uh, From the east, all right, verse 1, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. Now, some would think they came from the east, that's where the Orient, but it wasn't the Orient, it wasn't that far east, all right? It was more like either Persia or Arabia or most likely Babylon. That's where these wise men came from, or the Magi as we know them came from. And uh, the reason I land on Babylon, and, and there's always arguments and presentations for each of these areas as to why, I think because there was a sizable Jewish remnant left in Babylon. From what? From the exile, right? When uh, the two southern tribes of the 
Israeli kingdom, the two ten or the ten northern tribes had already been taken by Assyria, and the two southern tribes later were taken by Babylon. That uh, ended in 586 BC, and and so there was still a sizable remnant of Jewish individuals in Babylon. And they would have known about, they, the, the, these men, if they came, the, the, the wise men, the magi, if they'd come from Babylon, they would have been aware of all that was involved in the Jewish history and what was told in the Old Testament. And, and as we look at that, there were Jewish centers of learning that had been established in Babylon. And so the opportunity for the Magi to have come, become knowledgeable of the promised Messiah was pretty significant. That the king of the Jews uh, was coming. Now, again, as we said, the Magi were not kings but they were talking about the king of the Jews. The Magi may have served the kings in Babylon or wherever that land may have been. As I said, I'd land on Babylon at this time. But when we talk about who they were, we talk about them as wise men. The, the, the scripture uses the word Magi, which is like magicians. The idea is they were students of the stars. They were astrologers. And uh, that's why they followed the star. And they were influential men in their country in, and in the, the political leadership of their land at that point. And these are the men who come to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? And there's our third character. So we've got King Herod, Herod the Great. We've got the Magi. And then we've got the king of the Jews. And the, he, they came to Jerusalem asking, checking around, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Notice, who has been born king of the Jews? It doesn't say who will become the king of the Jews or who has been appointed the king of the Jews. No, no, no. The language is who has been born the king of the Jews. It didn't matter that he was just a baby. He was born king of the Jews. He was born of the royal kingly line of David who was intended ultimately to serve on the throne in Jerusalem. And that was, that is, Jesus Christ. We'll see that again in a minute. Now what the Magi were saying sounded like there was an authentic heir to the throne of David. Because they are asking, who, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? So they were looking for that heir to the throne from the royal line of David. And if, in fact, there was someone who was rightly born king of the Jews, Herod's job was in jeopardy, right? Because Herod wasn't even a Jew. He'd been appointed by the Roman Empire to be the king of Judea. He wasn't of the royal line of David. He wasn't in the right line the descendants of King David and if he's finding out there is someone born born king of the Jews 
Herod's a little nervous. Thus, we get to, chapter, we get to verse 3, and we read this. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. No wonder. Herod would have certainly been disturbed by the report of a rival king's birth right in his own homeland, right under his nose, right in the area where he had been appointed king. This would be disturbing. And then when he hears from these uh, magi coming from Babylon or that area, Persia, wherever that may have been, and, and they're coming to ally themselves with this new king all of a sudden Herod is thinking like oh man I got a problem on my hands there's going to be a military coup there's going to be a takeover I'm going to lose my job now Herod was used to that kind of thing all kinds of plots in the past of those in fact so much so that Herod killed one of his wives and at least two of his sons because he thought they were out to get him I mean Herod was very paranoid and so when he would hear this kind of a thing, that would disturb him. And when all of Jerusalem knew that Herod was disturbed, they had to be disturbed because then they're thinking, oh boy, opportunity for more oppression, opportunity for more of his paranoia and his imagining of things happening that aren't happening and some heads are going to roll, literally. And, and that's the way King Herod ran his uh, country there. So if Herod was upset, there's no telling what might happen in Jerusalem, which is why they were also disturbed. So Herod went to the Jewish leaders. We're told there in Scripture, now verse 4, when he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Hey, Messiah had not been used up until this point, remember? The Magi said, where is he who was born king of the Jews? Herod knows enough of the Old Testament to say he knows who that is. It's the Messiah. That's why he says he asked them where the Messiah was to be born because the Messiah would be the king of the Jews. In the Old Testament scripture, when it talked about the birth of the king of the Jews, they were talking about the Messiah. So Herod goes to the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, the priests and the scribes and really teachers of the law, the Pharisees were all part of that and asked, okay, where is the king of the Jews to be, where is the Messiah, the Christ? What, who is he asking about? Jesus, our Savior. That's who he's at. Where was he going to be born? Well, those Jewish religious leaders, they knew right away. And they quoted immediately from Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. And they said, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this uh, is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They're talking about the Messiah. Yes, the king of the Jews, but that's Jesus. And their answer was, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. All right, so all of a sudden now we know where this is going to take place. We move on to, uh, to verse 7 of Matthew chapter 2. 
And we read, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. That's why later on down in verses 13 and 14 and when uh, beyond that, when Herod decides we're going to kill every male child two years of age and yonder, under, that's why we, we get that from here when we talk about the exact time and that's where the estimate had come from. No more than two years. So let's get rid of every two-year-old boy. I'll make sure I get Jesus. I'll make sure I get the King of the Jews. I'll make sure that Messiah doesn't make it. That's what was going on. And so he says to them, verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they, the magi, went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Listen. Let me say the star went ahead of them. It stopped over the place where the child was. Just a word about that star because there's all kinds of information, books and, and tapes and, and videos and movies and all the rest about what that star was. And I'm not here to argue about that one way or the other. There are those who say that it was uh, the, the combination of the planets Jupiter and Saturn coming together, which created a very bright light there up in the sky. And that may have been it. Others would say that it was a supernova a nova is an exploding star, and, and, and it's, it's very dim, but then it explodes, and the brightness is there for a while, but eventually it goes away. It may have been that there are those who think it was a comet. We really don't know. In fact, I like the way one writer says it. He says, God somehow showed the Magi the way from Jerusalem to Jesus' home in Bethlehem. It's about five to six miles. In a way, get this, in a way that can best be described as supernatural, above and beyond scientific verification. You see, to me, it doesn't matter because God did it. That's what matters. God, in a supernatural way, whatever that was, if God caused the light of two planets to be bright, okay. If God caused the supernova, okay. If it was a comet, okay. Whatever it was, it was the supernatural, providential work of God, whatever that star was, that God used to lead the wise men from Jerusalem there to Bethlehem. And, and then, of course, as they got there, verse 11, look at it. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. They saw the child, not the infant baby, coming to the house, not the manger, folks. We don't know if it was a house connected to that manger that had been the stable where he was born and then they moved into that. We don't know, but we know it was the house, a house, not the manger. They saw the child, not the baby, the infant with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Listen. We could spend some time talking about those gifts and the significance of those gifts. Matthew doesn't indicate anything about them whatsoever. 
And, it, and as you study through the text, there may be some symbolism of those gifts. No question about the possibility. But I don't think that the Magi knew any of the significance that they were, they did not know what they were doing when they, if there's any, like for instance, we talk about the, the myrrh would be related to the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. Well, that's true. But that doesn't mean the Magi knew that when they brought those gifts. Do you see what I'm saying? It's just that, yes, that may very well have been, but despite their ignorance, God certainly made it known to us. And we could dig into them and find out some significance. But there's probably these three gifts were used because when you go on to the rest of chapter 2, you'll find out that Joseph was warned in a dream to take Mary and baby Jesus and run to Egypt. When Herod was going to kill all the babies two years of age and under. That's probably how they financed their trip. All right. But what we know as we think about this is that God in a supernatural way used a star to get the Magi to Jesus as a child with his mother Mary and Joseph, though he's not mentioned, in that house there in Bethlehem. So what does all of this mean for us heading into 2022? You see, some might say this sounds like uh, a lot of good information on the birth of Jesus. It gives us uh, some understanding, some knowledge uh, that, it, that, that we can pack away in our minds and put it together. It gives us a, a very good amount of history about the birth of Jesus, about the reign of Herod about the Magi and who they were, about the Jewish religious culture of the day. But it has to be more than just information. God's word is always given to us for transformation. Understanding the truth that God gives us to affect our lives and the way we live. And say, well, what would that be? Well, There are two basic responses to the king of the Jews, the Messiah, Jesus, in this text. The first was by Herod and the religious leaders. And we could talk a lot about what they respond or how they responded. But but Herod responded with fear. He might lose his throne. He responded with hostility. Are you kidding me? He wipes out every male baby two years of age and under in the Bethlehem area. Now that may not, that wasn't thousands, folks, just because of the population at that time. But it was enough to, 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 to create weeping and crying in the families there, in the, in the peoples around Bethlehem. There was self-interest. That's all Herod was concerned about himself. He was concerned about his throne and figured it was just another threat to somebody out to get him. It was a rejection of God's appointed king. We, that's why Herod reacted. He knew the Old Testament. And somehow the Magi had found out enough to, to know what the Old Testament scripture said to get to Jerusalem and figure this out. Herod knew that this king of the Jews was the Messiah. He understood what had been said and what had been prophesied. But on the part of the religious leaders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, Apathy, indifference, disobedience. 
Are you kidding me? Here we have chief priests and scribes and Pharisees, teachers of the law, and, and, and the king of the Jews. They knew the Messiah because they answered Herod right away. Bethlehem, that's what the prophet said. Micah said it. He's in Bethlehem. But those Jewish leaders did not make their way to Bethlehem. They weren't interested. They were completely apathetic and indifferent. You would think, as they knew the Old Testament scriptures, they would have made their way. Come on, Magi, we'll show you. We'll go with you. We want to see this baby, this king of the Jews who has just been born. Rejection. Not interested. Complete apathy. You see, Herod was opposing all of this. He told the Magi, hey, I'll come back when you find him because I want to go worship baloney. He just wanted to find him so he could get rid of him. Thus, when the Magi didn't go back because they were warned in a dream providentially by God, you know, and they didn't go back. Finally, Herod figures out, I kind of got double-crossed. That's why I wipe out those two-year-old boys and, and we're good, he thought. He was opposed to that. The Jewish priests ignored the truth, all that God was doing. This was God's plan of salvation beginning with the baby Jesus, the King of the Jews, the Messiah, our Savior Jesus. And then you have the Magi. Real simple, they were seeking, right? You've heard that. The Magi were seeking. The wise men were seeking. They were acting on the information that they had, that they had dug up, that they had discovered. They were eager to find and worship this new king of the Jews. Now, it probably wasn't any more than they would have for any king. It's not that they knew he, they knew he was the Messiah. They may have. They may have, but the chances are they were worshiping him as another king. But what do we know? They were worshiping the king of the Jews, Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior. So what can we learn, folks? Three, three lessons real quickly. God's providence is still in play. We talked about that message one back in the beginning of chapter one, right? God's providence through the genealogy that protected the birth of the coming Messiah. Read back through that. If you haven't done that, hey, that'd be a great way to start the year. Read back through those first 17 verses of Matthew chapter one and look at the history of Israel. Look at how many times Satan through individuals, wicked, evil individuals who had turned their back on God, tried to wipe out the line of David through which the Messiah, Jesus, would be born. But God's providence was at work and kept Jesus alive. And as we think about that, God's providence is still, I would say, always in play. Folks, we sometimes read these stories and think that, ah, oh, that, that doesn't, that's great. I can read about that in the Christmas story and other Bible stories, but, but that doesn't happen in life. That doesn't happen in life. That's not going to happen to me. That doesn't happen today in 2021, almost 2022. Oh, yes, it does, folks. 
There's nothing indicated in Scripture that gives us any reason to think that the sovereign providence of God is not working any longer. It, it still is at work. And you could probably give all kinds of examples in your life of how God providentially kept you from this choice or decision. Or God brought you to this decision and you made that choice and it was an unbelievable work of God because you never would have decided to do that. God is still at work today in a providential way. We, we defined a couple of weeks ago God's providence. Have a quote here for the one that we used from Warren Wiersbe. Providence is God's control of circumstances so that his will prevails and his purposes are fulfilled. God controls the circumstances so that his will prevails and his purposes will be fulfilled. God is still at work. God's providence is always in play. He used the star. He warned the, the magi in a dream. He talked to Joseph in a dream. And God's providence is still in play. Secondly, pursue God's truth. Pursue God's truth. That's what the Magi did. In fact, let me say always pursue God's truth. You see, sometimes we don't understand all of, of what the Bible says, right? Sometimes we're digging through and we're learning and we're growing and, and you come to a place and as we continue to grow, we learn more of the truth of the Word of God, right? I'll be 69 this week, folks. You go, What? Yeah, I know. I only look 59. I get that. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. But that means I've been saved for 65 years. Can I tell you that I'm still learning this book? And some of you have been around longer than that. Sorry, that's no offense. That's a good thing, right? And you're still with us. And think how long you've had to study the Word of God. And there's always more to learn, right? We never get it all. So when we learn truth, we need to pursue it. We need to go after it. We need to continue to learn. We may not understand everything, but we keep digging. The Magi didn't know everything. They knew enough to get to Jerusalem. And then God providentially got them to Bethlehem. And they saw the one born King of the Jews. Jesus, the Messiah. They may not have known it was the Messiah, but they per pursued the truth as they understood it. But they knew he was born king of the Jews. Folks, we need to pursue truth. Sometimes, well, I don't understand. That's too hard. No, listen. That's what the church is about. We're here to help one another. We're here to encourage one another to gain the truth and to grow. Thirdly, playing the part isn't enough. You say, what do you mean? Herod played the part. He acted religious. He rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. That sounds pretty spiritual, doesn't it? He played the part. He wasn't interested in anything religious. He didn't care about God. He wanted to wipe him out. He was rejecting and opposing God's plan. He was talking the talk, but as we say, he certainly wasn't walking the walk. And can I say simply, pay, playing the part is only a temporary thing. It will not last. It's not enough because eventually 
the emptiness and the hypocrisy will be gone. Playing the part isn't enough. Just because you know spiritual truth isn't enough. You need to obey that spiritual truth. You need to do the spiritual truth. That's why James chapter 1 says, don't just be hearers. We would say in our context, readers of the word. Be doers of the word. And playing the part isn't enough. God's word, just knowing it, doesn't change you. You must do it. When you know it as it relates to the gospel, it can change your life, but you've got to believe it. You've got to respond to it. You've got to obey the truth of the word of God. And that's the story of salvation. Now let me ask you this morning, how do you need to respond? How do you need to respond? We, we've read about Herod, who opposed God's plan and what, all that God was doing. We read about the, the Jewish religious leaders who were apathetic and indifferent, didn't care about it, didn't believe it, didn't want to know anything about it. And then the Magi who pursued truth. How do you need to respond? Are you pursuing God's truth in your life. And how about this as we end? Imagine what might happen. Now really, imagine what might happen if each of us acted on, obeyed the truth that we already know. Think of the truth you know. What are you doing with it? Are you acting on it? Are you obeying it? Think of what would happen if each of us took what we know and obeyed it, applied it to our lives. Wow. What would happen? We'd be different, all of us. This church would be different, all of us. There would be people that you know who don't know Jesus who might see the difference in you and come to know Jesus. Why? Because we're acting on the truth that we know. That would be the challenge as we end 2021 and move ahead into 2022. What are you doing with the truth you already know? Let's pray. Stand with me, will you please? Father, thank you for this year. Thank you for Christmas yesterday as we remembered the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one born King of the Jews who will eventually one day be on the throne in Jerusalem. God, don't let us, just as we begin, end one year and begin a new one, don't let us just continue on as we've always been. Lord, grip our hearts with the truth that we know. Burden our hearts to pursue more truth, but to obey the truth that we know. God, I pray that if there are any here today who do not know Jesus, God, help them to pursue what they do know. And God, that they would seek to come to understand their sin and that it is Jesus alone who can provide that forgiveness, 
who died in their place for their sin. Oh God, I pray that we this year, this coming 2022 would would determine in our lives that we are going to obey the truth that we know, the truth that you've given us, the truth found in your word, that we will follow it, that we will obey it for the glory of God. For it's in his name I pray. Amen. Folks, next Sunday morning, don't forget, 9.30, first communion of the year. Join us. Have a great new year, and we'll see you next year.